Hello and welcome back to Blacker Couch Reviews. I'm your host, Christina. We're back to discuss the second episode of the fourth season of True Detective, Night Country, written and directed by Issa Lopez. I enjoyed this episode. It's a little unsettling that it's continuously dark because I don't know what is what time of day that they are in so every time i see these scenes i'm like is it 2 p.m or is it 10 p.m that's a little disordinating i would really hate this if i lived at this part of the globe where this was my reality it's gotta do something to you right not to have sunlight for such a long period of time even in the winter they warn of taking vitamin d to keep your your mood stabilized and how depression or other things like anxiety can increase due to less of the sunlight which is why there was the whole daylight savings hour debate which apparently no one got the memo last year that we were not doing it. So we extended it another year because that's fucking America. (laughs) Accommodating 90% of you fuckers that don't, that don't uh, deserve to have a job. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was a, uh, I recently watched his special. Oh, what is his name? Now it's blanking on me. I want to say it's Josh, but that's all I got. Moving on. I like that Liz Danvers is not a perfect person. (laughs) I like that she sleeps around. And I like that we're taking an exploration into the possible supernatural versus what the humans have done to unalive themselves. Before we jump into the review, wherever you listen to this podcast, Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever good podcasts can be found, go down to the rating section, drop some stars, leave a review. My social media will be there as well. If you want to send feedback, blackercouch at gmail.com, which we have some goodies in our mailbag that I'm excited to hear once we get to feedback. Now, I did not write any notes. Shame. 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 It was a very busy day, and I had to make the itinerary for our family Canadian vacation coming up in March. So I checked a lot of things off the list, but I think I have everything stored correctly. I'm sure if I miss something, I'll recall it next week. On the ice where the bodies have been found naked, Priors and Liz are doing that thing called their job, trying to investigate the scene while others are taking selfies and ripping off body parts 
but we'll get to that point in a moment. They notice strange things about the bodies, including the fact that their eyes are burnt out. It looks as if they have self-inflicted bite marks. Something ruptured their eardrums. Possibly a a loud sound. And there's a symbol on one of their foreheads of a spiral that nobody recognizes. And then away from the body where Evangeline is standing, their clothes are all very neatly folded as if someone did this or they did it themselves. She says it's going to be effectively a clusterfuck of a case, but she wants it anyway and tells everyone, can we please act as if we are people chosen because we know what the fuck we're doing and not because someone's daddy knew someone else's sister who fucked someone else's cousin. Professionals have standards. They don't know how they're going to move the bodies because someone just changed like they didn't hear her when she said stop it. So she's very much a female in a boys club. They don't even have a forensic team person that isn't retired. It has to be pulled out of retirement. But she wants to keep the case despite Hank sitting right there allowing for this continued clownery. Eventually, though, they do listen, and that's when someone accidentally takes someone's femur off. It's not the femur. Humerus? Radius. How the fuck did he not die? I know this much. That is not how I would want to be brought back to life. Just go ahead and let me die. If the first thing I'm awakened with is howling pain which startles everyone they put him in a medically induced coma and i completely understand so they're not going to be able to talk to him he's going into surgery and he probably won't make it anyway she goes to the school to meet bryce who is an ex-lover and apparently that's catching around this town But we'll get there when we get there. She dismissed his entire class and he's like, what? I told you you can't show up at my job. Like, whoa, are you married too? Feeling like a freak on the leash. But she says that she is there on Salal business. She needs to know what they were doing up there. He calls them reclusive madmen. That they were very secluded. That they didn't come into town. And usually at these isolated bases, people rotate. But they consistently remained for years up there. And their goal was to sequence the DNA of extinct microorganisms to stop cellular decay which all basically amounts to making humans live longer without the diseases that we have that shorten our enjoyment of life. Sounds like they were chasing the fountain of youth. 
I don't think it's a good idea to bring any type of thing that's extinct, extinct back from life because I feel as if they were extinct for a reason. I don't know. If evolution didn't want them, I think maybe we should allow them to make those decisions. But I'm not a microbiologist, so there's that. He also points out, though, that their task was pretty much impossible because the permafrost is simply not viable for the task that they were trying to fulfill. It never would have worked. And thus, the funding that Pryor found out about seems also rather nonsensical. And there's something around the idea that there's a shell company within a shell company that leads back to a legitimate business that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the type of research that these researchers were looking into. Like if it was a pharmaceutical company that would make more sense i can't even remember what they said the company supplied but it didn't feel as if there would be a connection between the two just feels like another front for possibly money laundering who knows who knows before we move further with liz's storyline let's backtrack to to Evangeline meeting Rose on the ice Rose is like maybe you should let someone else take this case she says I think it's connected to Annie Rose is like oh seek him out you must she tells her to come and see her which she does and they discuss the fact that Rose sees Travis And she points out, one, I didn't start seeing ghosts until I came here. A lot of people mention in this episode that Ennis is a place where you see things because it's essentially at the edge of the world, right? At least that's the the idea that I'm getting. And Travis, like in life, comes and visits her just sporadically he had leukemia i love that she was just rolling casually a blunt you want to get high as she discusses their last time together when he was alive they had a little sex they had a little talking had a little cuddle then he left and then four hours later evangeline found him and now he comes and visits but she never saw ghosts before i think i already mentioned that part she asked about her sister and i like what she said don't mistake spirits for mental illness or something to that effect that your sister maybe needs to be seen by a specialist and she's like well they don't want to go because of how they're treated because she talked about the lighthouse and there's something going on with their mother and religion because there was a flashback as she was driving hearing one of their favorite songs which is the spice girls and 
she picks up a cross, the golden cross that she throws out the window. But we get a really quick flashback to what seemed like the two girls and their mother having an episode. And so her sister doesn't want to feel the effects of what the treatment is, which is understandable, but also when it comes to these decisions, how much, well, I guess it is their right, but if it comes to harming themselves, I think that's when you legally can can take those decisions away from them. And right now she has a job. She's working with Kavik at the bar. And so, you know, other than her calling the police hysterical one time, we can give her some lead way because she tries to talk to her about it. And she says, okay, I'll respect what you what you are, uh, what you were asking for right now. But at some point, I have a feeling she's going to have to take, take further action that her sister is not going to want for her to do. When she leaves Rose, she asks if she ever saw that symbol, because that same symbol she saw on Annie. And Rose tells her that it's older than Ennis and that it may even no no she said first she said it's older than um than her and then she said it was older than Ennis I think that catches us up for the most part until we get to Navarro confronting Liz, because she goes to, because they need to store the bodies. First, Connolly comes in, tries to tell her, we're moving it to Anchorage. Hank listens to him, but she puts, uh, pulls up the rule book and says, look, we have to preserve the bodies for 24 to 48 hours. We can't move them. He knows that this isn't something that she wants or he keeps telling her this isn't something that she wants or she's doing it just to spite him. But she allows the 20 or he allows the 24 to 48 hours because that is standard procedure. And they take him to the ice rink where we meet Kate. Kate looked over at Hank like they had fucked in the past. What the hell is going on? You have to come over and show my boys. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. But our reaction to Liz is polar opposite. Like, fuck this bitch. She comes over and asks if they could use the ice rink. She says, I do this for my community. She's like, of course. They bring in the bodies. Well, before that, we saw that Leah was skating and she asked Liz, Oh, did you see me play? And she completely brushed her off and was like, no, I'm not here for that. Don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. You don't mind me. 
question I have for many parents out there. How can you love them so much, but treat them like shit and give little care about the things going on in their children's lives? And that's a huge, huge cultural thing right now. How disconnected parents are (laughs) from their children or even interested. So like I'm dealing with my own shit right now. I don't have time to invest in you. And while I'm not saying every parent could be at every game, but there should be effort, especially even more so at home if you can't make those games. But it doesn't even seem as if Liz, it crossed her mind to show up and support her at a game. And then she just has this awkward moment between her and her girlfriend as she's more supportive of her than her own mother. Then she goes over to Kate. Then when she sees Leah behind her staring at the deceased body, she's just like, go away. (laughs) Go to, go to, oh, I forgot his wife's name. Yeah, I ain't gonna remember everyone. I think it's Kayla. Go to Kayla's house. I'll pick you up later. So they rec- they realize that there's seven legs and five heads. That's the first indication all the bodies may not be there. And she has homeboy stay and do more work on the bodies even though he's supposed to go home and tuck his child in. And she's like, well, don't fuck up. And that basically means do whatever I say. Cause he asked what happened between you and Navarro. Why do you don't like her so much? And I don't think it has anything to do (laughs) with (laughs) Navarro as much as it has to do with Liz is a very complicated person. And does not at all care about the personal lives of her employees. And I think she, as Navarro points out to her, when she does approach her on the ice, like you need me to work with you. Nobody fucking likes you except that little boy until he finds out. Like you can't keep fucking up my life because when he goes home, at some point he gonna want some. And Kayla gonna be like, oh, I'm sorry. Did you check with your boss first? Because I think we need her permission before we fuck because that's how our life is being run right now. And then he's going to have to make a decision. So there's that. And she knows that Anna is connected to the case, but she doesn't want to accept that quite yet. So they go and do further solo investigation Evangeline goes to Kyvex bar where her sister is working to talk to Ryan once again to ask if he ever saw Clark. Turns out Ryan's friend does recognize him, but says that he doesn't. A fight breaks out in the bar between one of the indigenous population and one of the miners. Because as Kavik points out later on, 
the water has been running black and they believe that the miners are poisoning it because it's too close to where they're mining and now their children are getting sick and then one guy is like we're tired of you guys pretending like you're not fucking shit up and the other guy's like well sounding very much like ryan you know we pay for your schools we support your economy here and then he leaves without paying his tab which is the perfect excuse that evangeline needs to track him down and get the information she eventually does which is the fact that his cousin sold an rv to clark and that uh his cousin is dead she points out that you didn't want to tell me this because you think anna got exactly what she deserved and since he does not at all try to deflect that we are going to assume she is correct punk ass bitch motherfucker i did forget to mention that kate walked past navarro and she's like navarro but when it came to liz she's like that fucking bitch and navarro's like i think she hates you more than she hates me and she goes well i may have fucked her husband before or after the divorce and i'm gonna guess that her husband is Connolly, since she goes to a hotel room and says yeah i knew the only reason you'd be staying in town is because you want to fuck me and that's exactly what they do however unlike havoc and evangeline they both do not get something out of it because she was left hanging and then they get into argument about the case and he essentially says i might have to pull rank on you if you don't start to fall in line so not only did he get what he wanted from you sexually he also pulled his professional card out and slapped that dick on the table and asked you to suck it so she left in a huff not mad that she left in a huff but <laughs> that made her very determined at that point to make him eat it they've been having an affair for 19 years while both of them were married it's like 19 years i had just gotten married yeah uh-huh and we've been fucking that long he promoted her and gave her this position out in the middle of nowhere is he trying to mistress her keep her in in the position where he continues to have the power and authority i don't know it's a lot of dynamics going on here <laughs> and could this be the reason why navarro was transferred in the first place once again their trails lead back to one another because Kavik was like you gonna come by tonight nope he in the bath he got the candles on the bubbles going <laughs> evangeline just helps herself into his home she's like you want to fuck oh you already jerked it off he's like can we just watch a movie or something <laughs> 
toothbrush. Well, you know you need to go ahead and replace that toothbrush. He probably already did. He just wants his back or a reason to bring her back over. And just as he's cooking her breakfast that looked absolutely delicious, by the way, she starts talking about her anxieties working once again with Liz because I skipped over that whole entire scene in which Liz had called the tattoo person and found out where he got the tattoo because he had it on his chest because they found that out from prior when she and prior interviewed the housekeepers as well as the driver who knew Clark was weird and then the smartness of prior got the iPhone opened so that they could see the last video so they know that Clark was wilding before shit went down and everyone sees Clark as someone that was mentally not okay kind of kept to his room everyone else ignored him even though he clearly was struggling and and possibly gone schizophrenic so that's an interesting note about the atmosphere and so this leads to the woman at the tattoo parlor sending over the original which was on Annie and since they're in a very provocative pose it's clear they had a relationship so she goes to Evangeline's it's like I should have locked my doors always lock your fucking doors man y'all be tripping me out oh I live in the middle of nowhere I don't give a fuck if there's 0.0000 chance lock your goddamn doors Anyhow, she just all up in her house. Like, where do you put the cans? Do you put them in the same place? So they have a relationship that seems to be not just a, we worked on one case together. Like we've worked on cases together. I need more context here, but they're definitely saying they're very familiar with each other to the point where she knows where she used to keep her cans in her house. Then she tries to talk to her. Well, first they're like, how did they keep this relationship secret? But that's going back to the Kavik conversation. She wants to work with her because the cases are connected. She tries to apologize about some type of event, but she shuts that down and says, look, this is the last time we're working together. Once we clear our cases, we'll have nothing else to do with the other. And Evangeline's like, cool. She likes shutting people down like that. And that's the second person she's done it with because she did it to Pryor as well. Poor Pryor. Why did you? uh, That's fucking sad too. You're going to go to his wife's house (laughs) to pick up your daughter, but you're going to make her husband stay at work and not put his child to bed and then point out to her like oh so you got my man out again oh you'll thank me they're overrated to have around why you mad which also leads to the other scene of her learning about her culture she gets 
the three lines on her chin it's just marker but liz freaks out tells her to wash that shit off the mom was over there cursing her out Man, shut your bitch ass up nigga nobody asked you how a bitch ass thing you shut the fuck up before i knock your fucking head off your shoulder though ugly ass bitch stupid ass bitch nigga kick your fucking heart out your chest nigga better wash the fuck out and i don't blame her and then kayla's like get the fuck out of my house we don't want you here especially as you clearly have a problem with your child learning about the other side of like this is their family right so yeah huge huge um moment to show that despite the fact that she clearly had a son with a indigenous man that she feels a knee jerk and very dismissive attitude when it comes to the culture and she does that a lot around Evangeline because she's like oh when she found the trailer later on have I missed anything else that I've skipped because I know I've been skipping all over the place (laughs) and they don't even discuss it either she just drives her home and says come down and help me with this tree I don't want to I'm sleeping closes the door sneaks out the window and then she goes back to work Oh, Evangeline also points out in that cabin scene at her house. Oh, you're doing this just because the white man told you (laughs) what you ain't going to do. And this is what I define as white feminism, where it's not so much about promoting all females. It's promoting the interests of white women only. And that you can tell when you look at the conversations about the pay gap or this, that, and other thing. It's usually statistics about white women. They're not talking about brown or black women. And that is distasteful (laughs) to feminism, which is supposed to be all-encompassing for all women. I like that they added that little caveat She also found the little teddy bear reminding her of her son. Something happened that irrevocably changed her. And she has not gotten or even addressed any of this trauma. And I wonder if that's what she's going to come to head with within this case. She also found out that the DNA matches Annie's for the tongue that was found on the floor probably was frozen which would explain the marks on it that's when we finally catch up with Kavik and Evangeline feeling insecure about working with her because Liz is all about the questions they know that she's good and she's you know she can perform to the task uh, and maybe this is her chance of, of testing that. I don't know. But she did the same thing with Pryor, where she got him 
to come up with a theory. Like it could have just been delusional hypothermia, but then why would they be scared enough to run out half dressed? All of the theories didn't line up to answer all of the questions. So they have to keep asking questions and it wasn't why or yeah, why they were having the affair. It's how they were having the affair, which she found out was the reason why you bought the camper And where do you take a camper when you're trying to fuck and no one wants to know? They both know that's the nook, somewhere called the nook. She finds the camper, calls Danvers. They get inside the camper. It looks very much like Clark's uh, notebooks. Something seemed to have happened where he seemed to be losing it. And because they were able to get into one of their phones, they saw all the things that were happening, which was them absolutely butchering Barry White. The first, the last, my everything should never, ever be sung by such a group (laughs) of Caucasian men. Uh, And they, they saw the weird ass scene with him saying she's awake. So now they have this weird ass cabin or weird ass RV where it looks like they're doing some type of a magic or, or voodoo because they have a whole doll over there. It's only animal bones in there. So it seems as if they got into some occult type shenanigans. But that symbol is there as well. And this is where Annie was at and they were in a relationship. Ryan didn't know that he she was in a relationship with anyone but something tells me Ryan <laughs> maybe just down a little brainwash with a mining cause and because uh, the one dude came out saying you're you're stirring up old shit you know I'm trying to find the person that killed his sister right like this thing called my job get the fuck out of here what, what? this ain't got nothing to do with you <laughs> Uh, then they get the call to come back to the ice where they find out that all of the, all of the persons are not there. Clark is still out there. He's still missing and he's definitely alive. According to Evangeline. said something interesting about seeing spirits some come because they miss you others need to tell you something that you need to hear and then others just want to take you with them and it's very important that you know the difference I wonder if that's going to come into play because she also said the world is basically cracking and Ennis is where we're basically seeing those fissures. Interesting. I really enjoyed this episode. 
as I pointed out at the top, I gave it an 8.6 out of 10. I think I covered everything, but we do have feedback. So if I missed anything, hopefully it'll be brought up there. So let's hop into the mailbag. What up, Stina? This is Mimi. This is feedback for True Detective Night Country. Now, just off the jump, I know nothing about Alaska, except I know that there's, like, night season. Like, there's a time when it's, like, night a lot. I don't know beyond that. I don't even know how long it is. I don't even know, like... You know, if it's ever a time when, like, they have, like, a regular day-night thing, I I have no idea. I don't know anything about Alaska, so I just want to premise that. But I will say this. <laughs> For as long as I can, like, consciously remember thinking about Alaska, I, re- I when I was younger, I didn't even think people lived there, like, in my mind. Like, it's just too cold. No, No one lives there. But then when I did find out people lived there, I was like, this got to be a special type of human being that can live like this. And when I realized that this true detective was in Alaska, I was like, this shit about to be good. It's probably going to be some superstitious, some supernatural, some like fuckery going on here. And it did not disappoint. Um, I got to be honest with you. I remember watching the first ever True Detective and it was like a long, long time ago and it had Woody Harrelson in it. And I don't even remember exactly what happened. I don't even know if I finished it. It wasn't that it was bad. I just I just don't remember. (laughs) It was a long time ago. I didn't realize it was one of those things like the, you know, the uh, American Horror Stories where it changes all the time. I that's not something I I don't think I ever paid attention. I knew there were a couple of seasons that came out and I remember um hearing like oh the new season of True Detective is out. I just I don't know, I just never watched it. But then I saw there was a brown person in this season. It might I think it was a brown person in the season a couple seasons before, but I didn't watch that. I just I know Darren was like, oh, the new season, the true detective came out. You want to see it? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. You can watch Started Without Me. And then um, I was walking past and I saw there was a brown. I thought she was a black woman um, at the time. But now I realize that she's uh, native or at least I'm assuming she's like indigenous or something. I I I didn't Google it. I don't really know, but. I know she's a woman of color and she is brown skin and I would even say she's black, but I think that her ethnicity would be Hawaiian. No, not Hawaiian. Alaskan. I'm assuming something like that, but I did. I do like her. Um, She is tatted up and it's something about when people have those piercings and dimples that just intrigued me because I could never it looks really good on her I could never do it but it it works 
it works for her face it looks i think it looks good um this is going to be a mashup between one and two episodes one and two because i saw them back to back um i will say from the beginning i was like when we found out about annie i was i think the cop the brown skin one is named evangeline if i'm remembering correctly and then we got jodie foster's character which i think they just i don't remember what her first name is but uh prior i i can already tell you i don't like her she i don't know i, I hope they don't like they're not trying to make her a likable character because i cannot stand her she fucking sucks everything about her annoys the shit out of me i can just just from these two episodes like it started out one way like uh, she's she kind of gets on my nerve and then in episode two everything was just out the window like i cannot stand this bitch she gets out of my nerve the way she treats her son is despicable (laughs) absolutely despicable and the fact like i don't know like i know we don't really know the dynamic or what happened but i have a like it sounds like you know she didn't raise her son or he lived with his dad for a little bit. It, I'm I'm not sh- quite sure what's going on because she has that stepdaughter that lived with her, but she didn't. Her son didn't know how he was like her new husband was with her. So we don't really know. It sounds like a drunk driver hit them and killed him and her son. I'm assuming. So it sounds like, but she she's awful to him. How are you going to say, like, you need, no, you're not going home. You're pulling an all-nighter. It's like, but I can't. I got to, like, I got to be around my son, which is your grandson if the math is mathing. And it doesn't make sense. And the fact that his wife, I'm a, it sounds like that's they're married. But at the very least, her, her baby daddy don't even, or her his baby mama don't even know that prior his boss, is also his mother like she was like your boss prior she never said your mom like I the way she came in that house and was like what are you doing take that off like bitch I would have mm, she better than me because I would have cursed her the fuck out and be like don't you ever step foot I don't give a shit who you are I don't care if you're my husband's boss you're not going to come in my house disrespecting me. You can go. And I don't ever want you fucking in my house again. And the fact that she, like, looks at her the way she does lets me know that she doesn't even know that's his, um, that's his mom. And I don't know if they're doing that on purpose, but she's just, oh. And then the fact she's sleeping with uh, the b- captain for 19 years seems like the relationship's been overlapping. And then the other lady hates you because you dated her husband and you didn't say ex-husband or I dated her husband before her. The way you said it lets me know that that shit overlapped and she should have beat your ass because I would have right before I said I'd have been like, okay, sure. Let me think about it. Papity pap punch her in the face and be like, you know what I thought about it after I punched you? I feel like. Yes, I will help this town because I love this town. But bitch, I hate you. And if you come in my face again, you're going to catch a couple more. Ugh, she's the worst. Like, how are you the detective in the town and you're awful? She is the worst. And the way she keeps talking to Evangeline, she better than me because I would have I would have I would have dragged her. All the way to hell, like she would have got dragged for filth 
for 25 minutes. <sighs> anyway, I went on a tangent talking about how much I do not like Jodie Foster's character. Like I said, I hope she's not supposed to be likable because I can't stand her. Everything about her annoys me. And side note, the police officers in this town are fucking stupid. Like, I, I've never been around a frozen solid body, but... Like, I would assume that it's not acceptable to manhandle it because it could break off. Like, how you break off a person's whole ass hand, even if the person wasn't still alive, that's awful. You're just, deta- you're contaminating evidence and you're fucking shit up. Side note, when that man screamed, <laughs> I almost peed myself, like, that was the last thing I was fucking expecting. This is a fucking frozen solid man sickle. And there's no way y'all froze like this with your ears bleeding, your fucking eyeballs black, and you're alive? What? I'm sorry, what? I, the, the, the scream I scrimped. <laughs> I can't even explain to you. I wish I wasn't by myself because that shit fucking shook me. I... I had to like pause the episode to get my mind right because I, I was just, I was so shook. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it was so unexpected. <sighs> I just, I, I know I'm all over the place. I didn't write notes because I didn't want to be talking for 45 minutes. But the, the other thing I wanted to talk about was, um, from the beginning when we found out about Annie and we found out what happened to her, I had this like strange ass thought. And this was from the beginning, like right when we found out about Andy uh, and the way she was killed. And they were like she was murdered with like a weapon that they couldn't quite figure out. And they were like it was like a, I think they said a star shape or something like that. And I was like, OK, I wonder if these things are connected. And then because it made me think about when he said she's awake. That was the last thing dude said. She's awake. And then like that's when the story started. And I'm like, did they kill Annie because she was indigenous to that land? And she like her family probably went back, you know, from that land. Like they probably went back generations because white people aren't indigenous to that area. The the Alaskan people would be. I don't know what their actual I'm assuming they have a specific name. And I think maybe I'll look it up because I, I hate like calling people the wrong things like, you know, calling someone like Native American is like now it's like indigenous. And then to go even further, like their actual tribe name, like Apache or Cherokee or whatnot. So I'm going to try and see if I can figure out. I know they said it, but I'm going to try to be better about remembering how to say it. But because that the geologist, the teacher that I'm assuming the the stupid ass sheriff. Or no, no, no. She's not a sheriff. The detective screwed and fucked him over because she's a she's a cunt um, <clears throat> said that, you know, when you pull the DNA out of the, you know, the terrain or whatever, you know, it it's it's not salvageable. So I was thinking, did they think that maybe if they had an indigenous person and they used their DNA that they could get somewhere? Like, did they kill her because they wanted to use her body to study? 
because they've been there for 10 years and haven't accomplished anything. And I'm like, that would be awful. That would be fucking terrible. But why would they like kill her so, so bad? I was like, no, 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 you crazy. I mean, you just jump into conclusions. But then we find out in uh, episode two that old dude and her were dating secretly. And I don't know what happened to their relationship or what happened to old dude but that cabin not the cabin the um trailer looked like one flew over the cuckoo's next like that man lost his fucking mind i don't know what happened to him but he's fucking crazy and it's possible that he was driven himself crazy because he murdered his girlfriend for science purposes i don't know but that's what i'm thinking um I think it's connected to their research because like it sounds like they just moved there and they just going to be there indefinitely. I don't know <laughs> what kind of life they had, but, you know, a house, they're all men, seems like prison, honestly, and we know people being isolated can cause people to be a little you know, mentally unstable. So they probably all were crazy. Um, I'm going to end it here because my dog is peeing on the floor. Um, so I will watch episode three and send that feedback. So until next time, love, peace, hair grease, and black girl magic, queen of the couch, Mimi out. That was Queen Mimi with her thoughts on the episode. Looks like she had herself a little situation. What the dog doing? Which is funny because I had to wait 20 whole minutes to be able to record additionally on your feedback because I or we all have to deal with the neighbor's dog that just barks insistently because he just throws him out for 20 minutes like piss. (laughs) Then I'm going to ignore you. But it looked like a couple of neighbors got pissy. So it looks like that's a theme. On to in your feedback. I'm glad you're joining us for this show, or I should say myself. Well, everyone else is listening. I also did not watch True Detective. It wasn't because I wasn't interested. It's just one of those things that's in my in my to-do list, and we're finally having a reason to get around to it. And yes, there was a person of color in the last season, but there's nothing quite like a female. woman of color it's just it's it's not the same of course we're pre predeterminedly biased to want to see those that look even a little like us on screen and as far as i know you were trying to call (laughs) and i understand you said you did not want to look it up and i i totally get that but callie rays is not Uh, She's not indigenous to Alaska anyway. She is of Cherokee and Native American ancestry, part of the Sikonki Wampano tribe in Massachusetts. I probably added way too much usits on the end of that. But she is from America. Just wanted to clarify that one bit of information because I did look at her IMDB 
which made me even more excited, to be honest. Because <laughs> it's even more rare to to get a, a Native American woman heading up a, a series on HBO. And it doesn't feel as if they're checking a box like they would do with Disney. <laughs> Now, one clarification or a second clarification. Pryor is not Liz's son. I think I made a speculation at the top of my first podcast that they may be mother and son. But this episode definitely clarified it, which the scene I did skip when Hank showed up at the ice and slapped his son in the face, then made him look in him in the eye and say, never steal from me. When your mother left, she never stole from me either. And thus, blood is blood and you need to remember that. Which led to that conversation between him and Leah, where Leah points out, you know, Liz used to be so different with my dad. She used to smoke pot. She used to dance and there was life to her. And now she's this other disconnected person. And kind of what I was saying in the episode, in my opinion, that trauma, people deal with trauma and then they forget about the other people around them because they're so selfishly in their own particular mode or way dealing with their own whatever the issues are that we're unpacking with Liz and that to me speaks to to reality of how parents have a tendency to or what actually reminds me even better of a George Carlin stint where he's like yeah all of a sudden this generation in the 60s were like doing all types of drugs and having their own culture experience but then once that time has passed and their time is over well now they're just turning into these self-righteous pieces of shit and so <laughs> that also is prevalent in other places uh, in the country where that's the the you have parents that don't necessarily identify anymore with the children that are just as uh should be given just as much leadway in some things than we allow them to uh and uh from what we got from leah hank has been violent and he's also texting this woman that is probably taking him for all he has talking about we're gonna have the place ready when you get here oh my mom you know i'm gonna send money for her for her treatment and i was just watching this whole documentary on how people are getting taken advantage of but at the same time if you're trying to pay for someone pay for companionship it's a two-way street you're looking for exploitation to a certain extent right you want her not to be able to leave you because she needs you for a particular reason and that assaults your fear of abandonment he tries to make excuses for his father like well he was raised by an animal 
that was raised by an animal. So you have the generational trauma thing, right? Where it continues to just be a cycle. But she points out, well, you're just the nicest person. You broke that cycle. Um, and what do you do when you're, when you are that person? And you can see he's very dedicated to his job. And I like that about him. But I, I see him and Liz's relationship. I agree. She's definitely, she's taking advantage of his need of approval. And he certainly is missing that motherly relationship. And she certainly knows she fills that role for him and takes advantage. There's no debating that part. But I also do believe that she is helping him to be better because he actually wants to be better. And like many small towns, you're bringing up how they're not really prepared for. And I think they even said that in the episode. Yeah, they're not. They're not. They, they, anything that happens, if it happens, which usually doesn't, it's sent out to a far more experienced office, which is Anchorage versus around here, you know, you're just dealing with very basic things, DUIs, uh, a lot of town, what's the word? Um, you know, community, I scratch your back, you scratch my back type of environment, like a booze is even illegal, just something she brought up with Kovac. So I do think that her approach comes off of her own personal experience and she doesn't have a right to put that on him but he's also a grown man he's a grown man he can make his decision he can put his foot down yes she's definitely (laughs) being the devil on his shoulder but I know if my boss was telling me that I'd be like well I'm sorry I'm gonna take 10 minutes to go put my kid down to sleep or even an hour. I don't think that would have been too out of the realm. But she's using him because she can't use anyone else. Because no one else gives a fuck. And that is unfair. And why she should have taken Evangeline up on the offer. For no other reason than to alleviate all the pressure you're putting on him. No matter how involved he wants to be. And I have a feeling she's going to push that relationship too far. Especially when he asks her questions, she just hangs up in his face. Eventually, he's going to be wanted to be treated with respect. As far as her sexual life, yes, it seems like she definitely got around. I think that her promotion was a demotion in disguise. That she was very capable at her job, probably was outperforming those around her. And to keep her, her and her persona away from <laughs> getting in the hairs of others, he, he, he kind of, even though they're sleeping together, put her in a position where she doesn't really have the authority she would have. Uh, like 
she kind of puts that out. You got me in this cushy office. He thought it broke, brought that up in his face a couple of times. The sleeping part. Um, yeah, that's definitely conflict of interest. <laughs> There's no debating that. Your debate that maybe or not debate theory. That the the workers at the. Sawell station may have killed Annie connected to the research that's possible maybe not utilizing the herb but there's a lot to the cultural side of Ennis that she may have knowledge of going back to some of the things found in the trailer and since they were essentially looking for something that was an impossibility, I can see that having some weight to it. Personally, right now, I'm of the opinion that the miners paid them to kill him or to kill her. And then Clark is manifesting some type of revenge, having either witnessed it or been made to be part of it. But it also could absolutely be two separate things going on. And they just want you to think that because they are being very heavy about the minors. So it could be, like you said, related to something completely that has to do with that base and nothing to do with what's going in the town. And that Annie connection just happens to be there because of their relationship but it's going to solve both of their cases. So I think that it's not a crazy idea. Not at all. I do like Liz. I, I like that she's not the quintessential person that is without flaw and that she isn't particularly likable. I like that because they don't, allow female characters to be that way there's usually these categories of uh and and so there's a briskness to her and a competency to her that i relate to but she does have very like she's not a good mother at all to her child she is keeping her from learning her, you know, national identity for reasons we don't know yet. But the initial knee jerk doesn't definitely paint her in a light. And I think that she does take on some of those white feminist traits. But I think that that's just all part of the characterization. So I don't think they're making, they're writing her to be likable. I mean, that's subjective. It may even be irrelevant. But she has intentions and she clearly knows how to do her job. And that is something also to be said, because there's plenty of people that are so likable and suck at their job and so many people that are not very likable, not the easiest to get along with, but are really good at their job. And it just depends on where, what job they're doing, if that's a 
plus or minus, but not being able to rely on people in this town, I have a feeling it has more to do with sexism than it has to do with her isolating everyone around her. No one else seems to be too intent to be interested. And there's definitely a cover up going on. Anytime you're relying on one resource, that's going to be a problem. And then black water, that's, that's not cool. And if it's affecting the children, we got a lot of motivations out there. And that's where we're going to end it. If you want to send feedback, blackercouch at gmail.com. My social media will be below. Like, share, subscribe. Until the next time, peace, hair grease, and blacker magic.